Hi, and welcome to the Full Bloom Project, a body positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two, here to help you help your children fully bloom. This episode is brought to you by the ABCs of Body Positive Parenting, our signature virtual guides provide additional research and resources to help you put body-positive parenting into action so that you and your care providers can help your children fully bloom. To claim yours, please visit our website at fullbloomproject.com. Today we are speaking with Dr. Lauren Mulheim. Dr. Mulheim is a psychologist, certified eating disorder specialist, author, and the director of Eating Disorder Therapy L.A., She helps people with food and body image issues, anxiety, and depression. She is one of the very few therapists in LA certified in family-based treatment for adolescent eating disorders. She has written a book for parents using this approach, When Your Teen Has an Eating Disorder, Practical Strategies to Help Your Teen Recover from Anorexia, Bulimia, and Binge Eating. She does not believe that parents cause eating disorders and knows they can be an important part of the solution. As certified FBT therapists ourselves, we have leaned on Dr. Mulheim's work often to help empower parents to help their children heal from an eating disorder. Because this process requires a fundamental unity of all care providers, including health providers, we wanted to talk with Dr. Mulheim, who is also a trending expert in the health at every size movement, about why the caregivers in a child's life also need to present a united front around body positivity. That's the you in our virtual guide. Dr. Mulheim, welcome to the Full Bloom Project. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. But first, let's just um, share a little bit about yourself and your work for our listeners. Sure. I run a group practice in Los Angeles called Eating Disorder Therapy LA, and we're a practice specializing in the treatment of eating disorders in people of all ages, and we also treat anxiety and depression. And I have, as you noted, written a book about family-based treatment, and that's one of my passions. And Over the last 10 years, I've really become a strong adherent of health at every size, and that's another one of my passions. So this uh, podcast kind of brings together two of my loves, and I'm excited to be here to talk about them. Just for our listeners, because I don't think we've really defined health at every size yet or well for our listeners. I'm wondering if you want to take a stab at that (laughs) for us. Sure, I'll try. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's complicated. Um, so health at every size is a health philosophy that's kind of an alternative paradigm to the dominant paradigm that's focused on being at a certain weight is healthier. 
And Health at Every Size focuses on accepting that bodies naturally come in a range of sizes and shapes that is largely genetically determined, and that the focus of health should be broader than weight and the focus is on mental health and uh, that it focuses on kind of intuitive eating, which I know you've talked about on your podcast, and it focuses on movement for enjoyment and health purposes other than weight loss. And Health at Every Size also takes a social justice perspective that looks at weight stigma as a social justice issue. I'm glad we asked because so much of that is what the Full Bloom Project is all about promoting. Um, and health at every size for the whole family is a big piece of, it's a big part of our, our mission. Um, and so in so many ways, you're the perfect person to talk to, um, especially about this issue of the united front. And um, as FBT therapists, we know about this sort of terminology that gets used um, in treatment with adolescents and their families. But for today, we really want to focus on with you on why a united front among parents, among care providers is so critical to promoting body satisfaction and also the health at every size ethos. And we just want to hear hear a little bit about that. And also if you can share with us what stakeholders are important in that. Yeah, so I think it's really important to understand the backdrop of all this is that we're all immersed in diet culture. And so I'm really careful that parents are given all kinds of messages by healthcare providers that focus on weight and dieting. And so everyone, including all of us, are, are swept up by this. And we're all born into diet culture and indoctrinated into it at a young age. And I think it takes a lot of work and awareness to really question what the messages of diet culture are. And so I think, you know, first of all, that it's normal for parents to be subscribers of diet culture and that, you know, parents are, I think, caught up in this Um, And they're doing their best. And many of them are following the advice of health experts when they are, may originally be focused on diet and weight loss and being at a lower weight. So I think it really takes a big paradigm shift for parents and families to come to a health at every size perspective. And I think it's really challenging. I've noticed with a lot of my patients, it's you know, especially with adult patients who have parents who may still be strongly in diet culture, that it's all, it's the same kind of issue I have with a lot of my patients who are pretty progressive politically and have more conservative parents, that it's the divide is is as great between the health at every size and diet paradigms. And um, sometimes it's generational and, and just really hard to make that that bridge. But I think parents who are learning about health at every size, definitely it helps if the both parents can be on the same page and agree to learn about health at every size. And I'd say most often it starts with one parent learning about it and then trying to get the other parent on board. 
And I think that is really helpful when both parents can give consistent messaging. But even so, there's diet messages out there. So, right, there's no entire buffering of a child. And there's always going to be mixed messages because our world is so focused on diets. Yeah, I think it's an important thing to address, which I, I was talking with my husband last night and it occurred to me as it does regularly that this is a really big divide and bridging it is really challenging even with well-meaning people who, you know, my husband's listened to all of our podcasts and he's very supportive, but there's some, there's some really challenging moments where that question of what's healthy um, comes onto the table and how do we, how do we manage that question? And I, I guess I'm, I'm curious just in your work, if you have any advice for our listeners who are trying to take their first steps into health at every size and come up against this huge industry or this, this huge diet mentality, diet culture in kind of every step of the way, how to stay, I guess, how to stay united and also just how to stay strong. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm, I'm curious how you've sat with people through this. Yeah. So I think that it's, it's hard work, first of all. So I really encourage people I'm working with to do reading outside. I recommend a lot of books focused on health at every size. I encourage people to clean up their social media feed and stop following traditional kind of celebrities and proponents of health and focus more body positive health at every size people, I feel like that's a good way to kind of reset your view of what people look like, because we're so overexposed to thin people who represent like the bottom 2% of the population in terms of body weight. And we miss out on the whole diversity of what bodies look like. And I think that leads most people to have a warped view of what people should look like. So I really encourage people to clean their social media feeds and look at more diverse and follow more diverse people. And I think a, a, a really encouraging trend is now some new photo uh, resources having more diverse bodies. I saw something on Twitter last night that looked really exciting. And I think just being exposed to more diverse body images can be really helpful in the process. And I think it's really hard to do this work alone. I think being a part of a community, whether it's being part of a Health at Every Size online Facebook group or listening to podcasts such as yours, I think can be really helpful because sometimes it feels like you're the only person going against diet culture. And I think hearing other people speaking about this and, and doing this work and who have done this work can be really beneficial. Yeah, and that, I mean, I, I, that's our idea, right? To try to at least have one parent kind of listen, get curious, and then have 
research informed material to share with their their family with their partners and we find that focusing our content on research it, it has appealed to people that are maybe otherwise skeptical but this to me and this is the part that gets me really incensed i'm so aware based on all the conversations we've had with various researchers how far behind the medical training is around this like in particular for pediatricians and how there's all this information being shared among kind of folks like us that isn't really making its way into mainstream, let's say, pediatric offices for well visits. And so I'm wondering if we could talk about how important the United Front is when it comes to pediatricians, adolescent medicine doctors, and also how we can get those medical providers on board if they're maybe from a different paradigm that you were, that you were referencing before. Yeah, I, th- I think that's challenging and that may take a couple of generations to really re-educate upcoming pediatricians. So I feel like that's a, a big, huge issue. And I, I think parents have to first educate themselves and they may or may not be able to educate pediatricians. And then I think have to be prepared in my own experience, I love my kids' pediatrician. My kids are now 21, 19, and 17. And I have stayed with this pediatrician, but I have to let you know that two of my three kids grew out before they grew up in puberty, and they gained weight before their growth spurts. And twice I got the talk about you have to check in about their weight. They, I mean, they, fortunately they talked to me privately. They didn't do it in front of the kids, but they gave me the warning, like there's been a lot of weight gain and make sure they're exercising and eating enough vegetables because of this obesity fear. My other child actually grew up before she grew out and I got the She's where everyone would want to be. She's 75th percentile for height and 25th percentile for weight. And that, you know, immediately didn't didn't have an impact on me. But shortly after that, I had some other concerns about her where she was kind of reporting euphoria after running and gotten more picky about eating and... I had just finished my FBT training and I thought, you know, this could be like early anorexia. She's like not eating enough. She was in club soccer at the time and would come home from soccer and not want dinner, you know, at like eight o'clock. And I, it like dawned on me like, oh my God, this could be an issue. And so I did this intervention that was kind of like a, an FBT intervention where I basically reorganized the family around, we have to make sure she's eating enough. I made her, I wouldn't allow her to go to soccer unless she ate dinner first at four o'clock. And then I required her to eat another dinner when she got home at 8 p.m. And I made sure everyone in the family, including grandparents, knew that we had to make sure she ate enough. And they also observed some other like weird things about her not wanting to eat. And it was only 
a year later or two years later, and, and the intervention took like six months, maybe, you know, and it wasn't a big deal. And I don't even think she would probably even remember it much. And she did gain weight. And two years later, I wrote a blog post about this and I plotted her weight on her growth curve. And I, looking back, she had totally fallen off the growth curve at the point when the pediatrician said she's 75th percentile for height and 25th for weight. And that's where we all want to be. She had totally fallen off her weight chart and the pediatrician did not notice it. And so to me, this was a real blatant example of weight stigma in my own pediatrician's office, that they were more concerned about my children who gained before they grew, who, by the way, were on their growth curves all along. And my daughter who grew without gaining was held as the ideal, and she's the one that actually had fallen off her growth curve. And if I hadn't done an FBT-like intervention, I don't know that she wouldn't have developed an eating disorder. That's pretty... Pretty challenging to hear that. And as a parent, you know, you we don't know what we don't know, right? And I guess that's our, our hope is that we'll help inform some parents about what, what what we want them to know or what's what we hope is helpful for them to know so that they can be, you know, even more powerful agents of of support and development for their children. Um yeah, so my advice to parents is, you know, those growth curves that the pediatricians plot, you want to look at them and uh, make sure that, you know, every child pretty much grows along a similar trajectory, whether it's the 25th percentile, the 50th, the 75th, whatever is normal for your child is probably normal for them. When I have a teen in treatment, I always get those growth charts. And it's amazing how most kids really do grow along one steady trajectory. And I am now a proponent of parents should, at least in the U.S., where where the pediatrician's tracking it, parents should also ask to see them and double check because your pediatrician is really more concerned about the child gaining too much and is not, you know, watching for an eating disorder or falling off the, the weight curve. Yeah, and we're we're actually going to do a whole episode dedicated to genetics and growth charts because of this very issue. And I'm just very mindful in this moment that the three of us are family-based treatment providers. There's a very small number of us, you know, nationwide, worldwide, and most people wouldn't know that. They would feel, um, especially with a trusted pediatrician who you've been with since perhaps birth, your child's birth, is celebrating your child for being, I mean, hearing you say it wasn't even that she missed something. It was that she was actually celebrating this thing. She's where we all want to be. And missing a potential crisis that just so happens you happen to be one of the few people trained in this intervention that happened to catch it. I mean, that is such an unusual privilege to have. And so I'm, I'm constantly aware of that power differential in the doctor's office and how, you know, how things like that are happening. And then also how hard it is to challenge the status quo or even advocate for your doctor to talk to you privately about any weight concerns rather than just say it in front of the kids, because that happens too. And so how can we, as parents that are not as, in, you know, not as well-trained, let's say, how can we get this conversation going, even if we can't change the establishment this generation? Like, can the three of us think of anything? What can we do? What can they do? I'm just wondering, you know, 
How how realistic do you think it is for every parent listening to, you know, call up their doctor and next time they're in and say, hey, listen, you know, it's really important to me that you talk to me about my child's weight without my child in the room. Like, can we can we agree on that? I don't know. Do you think that's a first step? What would you say is the first step? I think that's reasonable. And fortunately, my pediatrician did do that. The, the conversations about weight were when they were concerns were with me alone. So that that seems reasonable. I think it's very hard to find pediatricians who are on board with health at every size. In Los Angeles, I'm working on a project with local people where we're going to try to identify some doctors of all types of doctors who we think may be open to health at every size, and we're going to start doing some outreach and education to them. I think... You know, parents can certainly look for doctors who may be more open to health at every size and can can try to do some education. But I think it's very hard when you're in the, the parent role and there's this power differential. You know, I don't know that I have the answers to that. Well, but I mean, I think, Leslie, that's a that's a good first step. And it at least puts it on the radar that you're in, you know, you're advocating. I'm actually, as we were sitting here, I'm thinking about how it's not just the pediatrician. It's also like even preschool teachers. My kids are built quite differently. And I remember like I was with my little one in my older son's preschool and two of the teachers were commented. They said, oh, he's chubbier than your older son. Like, And I, I was like, okay. I mean, it's a strange thing to say. I mean, to me, like, it's cool. Like, are you just describing him? I mean, what was the purpose of that comment? I don't quite know. But I was definitely caught off guard. And I didn't go back to say, hey, you know what? In our family, we really try not to talk about body shape. It's just a value of ours. It's it's protective. It's. Pro- I mean, that's, that's an awkward conversation. And I'm a therapist, it you is. know. Um, but it just yeah. occurred to me, I totally let that go. And but it's this is exactly what we're talking about, right? Yeah, and I think you have to pick and choose who you want to confront and where and when. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, you know, that leads us to our next question about like beyond your spouse, the other family members, you know, grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins, just how do we, is it possible to unite with them? in this way. I'm sure it is, but I think on one level, you just, as a parent, try to do your best in educating and, and making requests and maybe confronting when things come up. I'm curious what your thoughts are in all your work with health at every size. You know, how do we start that conversation with other family members? Yeah, I think it's tricky. I think, I think you have to make choices on who, you know, who's most important and who you can, who you think you can bring on board. Some people may just not be approachable on this issue. And I think other people, you can let them know that this is something you're learning about and share some of the resources. And then ultimately, it's very hard to persuade people. So sometimes you just have to agree to disagree. Like when it comes to the political things, I think sometimes you have to say like, okay, we just can't have this conversation or, you know, this is off limits in front of the child, you know, 
So you may not be able to convince them to become adherent to health at every size, but you can probably get people to agree to not make comments on your child's weight in front of them or to not talk about dieting in front of your child. So sometimes that's the best you can do. It it sounds like it's about creating boundaries. Like it's not necessarily about trying to create conversion, Mm -hmm. but rather advocating for boundaries. And I, I, I really think that that analogy to political divide is it's fitting because this is one of the, it's that polarizing at times. Yeah. And I've noticed like I've, when I've taught health at every size, like I taught it to two graduate programs recently and you can see people who are open to it. Their minds are just blown when you kind of explain this paradigm and it really is that different from the usual stuff that we've been brought up believing. So, so I really do think it is a a big divide. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of the divide, um, and this is, this is, uh, you know, media and cultural climate is something we talk about probably every other week here, but how can parents in the spirit of the United Front help a child be prepared for that unpredictable disunity that they will inevitably experience within our current cultural climate, thinking about social media, magazines, TV, etc. Well, I think parents learning about this can really set up a household that is non-diet focused, that focuses on all foods being allowed around enjoyment of more decadent, fun foods. They can do some education, some books that are body positive and and share that with children and talk about respect for all bodies and body diversity. And I think they can watch the images that the kids are seeing and do education. There was an amazing study in the International Journal of Eating Disorders about, I think, five or six years ago that talked about weight stigma in children's programming and how rampant it was. And it was even shows like SpongeBob SquarePants. And the article found that in most children's programming, there was a lot of weight stigmatizing comments, a lot of teasing, a lot of fat jokes, and then always followed by a laugh track. And almost no one ever stood up for the person who was being made fun of. So I think as parents watch children consuming some of this stuff, they can start to notice and point out that these are weight stigmatizing comments, that it's, you know, not funny, and do some education around that. And I think that, you know, the work that parents are doing around body diversity certainly as kids get older, making sure that kids are seeing more diverse bodies can, I think, be really helpful. And I just wanted to add to that because I'm, I'm thinking back to what we were saying about bridging the, like, uniting with your partner or other family members, other adults, and how sometimes we do laugh at that stuff. Because we are, like you said, we're all part of this culture. And even the super informed are still, you know, still grew up in this culture or the well-meaning still grew up in this culture. And so whether you're a kid or you're an adult and you do laugh, let's say, at a fat joke, I think it's probably in the spirit of not blaming, right, Um, 
offering us all compassion. If you laugh, okay, but notice what's problematic about finding it funny and what's problematic about the fact that at large our culture kind of does laugh like that. I feel like that's it's a little more nuanced, right, than saying it's not funny because I guess on some level I want to validate that, yeah, sometimes we laugh at things that are inappropriate to laugh at and I don't know I want to make space for both to for there be for there to be room for both I don't know what do you think well I think I think the the kind of point that you're making is that we're as as parents and just as humans um, and people in this culture really really just taking baby steps towards health at every size you know as just we it's just very not what we've been raised in. So I think we're going to, as parents and as people, notice it coming up repeatedly for Mm -hmm. us and to not blame yourself for it coming up, but to be mindful of that it does come up and to name it for yourself Mm -hmm. and to then make movement towards buffering yourself from it. Or for your partner, right? Because I could see that becoming a conflict. Like, if you are a little further along in this journey than your partner, you might get, in like, infuriated if they're laughing at something. How could they laugh? This is not funny. This is weight stigma. This is horrendous, you know? And then that's not a way to unite, right? I'm just trying to think of that kind of way to, to maximize the united front. I don't know. What do you think, Lauren? Yeah, I think remembering the the compassion piece that it it's normal for us all to have weight stigma and it takes time to really do the work and to start to notice it and to have compassion for people who are still immersed in the normative um thin ideal is is going to be important. On the heels of that, as parents, we, we tend to be very busy and we're trying to make it make this episode be digestible for parents. So we're wondering what the one thing that you would recommend parents can do on the regular to help their kids adopt the health at every size model. If I had to pick one thing, I think I would focus on just including all foods and focusing on, you know, not having foods be off limits and celebrating the variety of foods and helping to build body trust through intuitive eating. I know you've had Evelyn Tribbley on. I really like the Ellen Satter resources for family feeding, the division of responsibility. I think her materials are are really helpful when I've had adult patients who have had eating disorders and have questions about feeding their own children. I always refer to her materials and people generally find it really digestible and helpful. I just want to reinforce that or remind our listeners that you are a psychologist that specializes in among other things, the treatment of eating disorders in adolescents, and you're recommending for prevention that those sadder models are of use. And I want to hammer that home, I guess, because we've had 
we had Jennifer Harris from the Satter Institute on talking to us about what does healthy really mean. And we, we're, we're trying to educate about those models. And I just want to, no, no, I want to make that connection that in a way, if you want to, if you want to avoid us in, in, the, in our offices on the back end, like some of these things that you're saying today, um, could really at least increase protective factors, including those models and, and your answer to our million dollar question. So I, I appreciate that response. Yeah. And I, I just want to add that I think talking about prevention is tricky because I am a strong believer that parents do not cause eating disorders. And I think there are still cases where parents may do all the right things. They may follow Ellen Satter's recommendations to a T and bring their children up in a non-diet focused weight inclusive household and their child may still get an eating disorder and there may be genetic vulnerability factors and still cultural factors that play into it that parents can't always buffer against. However, I do think that using the Ellen Satter model can be helpful. Yeah, I want to underline that too. And I've had, you know, I've had plenty of clients in my office who who did a lot of the things that we have been talking about in terms of prevention and that eating disorders are, are not caused by parents and that parents can help when there is an eating disorder, that they're, you know, they're the best help that we, that we've found. Um, And that's what our, what we do, you know, on the other side, all of us is really sit with the family and empower them to help in the ways that they can help. Um, And that these sometimes, this is just what's in the cards for your child's body and personality. And we want to make sure that no parents feel blamed. Mm-hmm. Well, any other resources that you want to, that you have created, um, that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Sure. I do have a blog post on my website that uh, came out of work with really adult patients who are young adult patients who have family members who may still be immersed in the diet paradigm. And it's actually the name of the blog post is to the family member who worries, I am not helping your loved one's weight problem in quotes. And this was designed to be a, a letter that actually patients could share with their family members. And it's kind of a digest of some of the good short bites about information about health at every size and body diversity. So that could be a good resource for your listeners where they're trying to share the health at every size paradigm with other people. Great. Thank you. We'll be sure to connect our listeners to that blog post specifically. And just as a plug to your blog, you have so many wonderful resources there for a variety of different um, stages of kind of struggling um, Mm -hmm. with with food and and body. So I want to encourage listeners to check that out too. And I want to thank you for joining us today and also for this kind of radical work you're doing. I love that you've blended the family-based treatment with the health at every size. And I know more, but in particular, because those are over on the East Coast, those are two interests of ours that we are also trying to blend. So it's It's wonderful to see you trailblazing on the West Coast. So thank you for that, too. 
Oh, yeah, thanks. And it's great to have partners to do the work with. So thank you guys. So what did you think? It was interesting to realize we hadn't actually defined health at every size on the podcast yet. Both of our work is really informed by that perspective, but it hadn't really come up so specifically in any episode. So I'm really glad that you thought to ask Lauren to introduce the Hayes paradigm for listeners. Yeah, I agree. And to me, it fits in so well with this idea of a united front, that being able to be unified with others and talking about body positivity and health as something really beyond weight loss is so powerful and so protective for our kids and so hard. It really is so hard. And like she was saying, kids are going to be exposed to diet culture no matter what. And so are parents. No one can be completely buffered. But really, because of that, there is this social justice component to health at every size that calls for advocacy to hopefully build a more united front in the culture on these issues, as well as at the family level, with our spouses and other important people in our kids' lives. Totally. And Dr. Malheim made the point that it can be really helpful to get connected with a community and not go at it alone. And I suppose that's really what's inspired our whole mission, right? To build this body positive parenting community and include caregivers or healthcare providers in there as well. And I definitely see that in my own experience, even working with you on this podcast, it's opened up a fortified commitment to this work, especially as we get feedback that the mission is connecting with parents and clinicians. And I'm feeling this new sense of community, which it feels lovely, right? It really does. It feels it feels nice to be connecting with people in this world that feel like they they want to think about this stuff with us together totally. and talk about this stuff. Totally. And and we can build united fronts by introducing the these ideas to others and seeing if they're on board. And at the same time, I think she made an important point. I love the analogy to the politics. Like you're not going to get everybody on your team and Maybe there's that gener- generational difference. Um, whatever it is, you're not necessarily going to have the full support and unity from everyone in your life, and and that's okay. I, I just had dinner last night with with friends who are intrigued. They're intrigued by what I'm doing here up with the Full Bloom Project, and they, they ask questions, and they're curious, but they absolutely have good, bad foods in their family, and they do a lot of feeding behavior that is not in line with what we're trying to promote here. And I'm not going to lie, it frustrates me that I like couldn't convert them. But at the same time, I respect that. Like, and I appreciate that they're willing to listen. But I'm also appreciating that then I had this call with you today to record this. So I feel like I've got my community. And for those listening, you know, if you're feeling isolated, and like you're the only one uh, that doesn't want to be talking to your kids about calories or how there are good and bad foods. And it can certainly uh, help to connect with communities online and read materials, our resources, and there are so many more, uh, just to know that you're not alone and that, you know, you can unite with so many different informed people, right? Yeah, I we've noticed that we, we at the Full Bloom Project want to create a resources page for all of you in addition to kind of our 
podcast pages on our website that has a bunch of different resources and also getting you more support if you're listening and and feel that you need more support. Um, I personally have been really inspired by Christy Harrison's Food Psych podcast. I really recommend people take a listen to that too. It's not a parenting podcast, um, but it is a really huge resource for plugging into this community that really names diet culture and weight stigma in all its sneaky forms. And it, I refer almost all of my clients to it because we just need to hear it. We need to hear it to really appreciate diet culture and weight stigma is is so embedded in so much of what happens. I mean, I was we're going at spring break in our life right now and we're going on vacation and you know, I was talking to a mom the other day and she was talking about her body and in front of our kids and it's hard as another mom to be like, "Hey, can we just not talk about this without like invalidating her?" It was just let's just not talk about this in front of the kids, please. You know, and that's really awkward. And it's so normal for people to do. But I just know how from doing this podcast, how much I don't want to do that. And I don't want to support that. And I, I want to support the mom talking about something else with me. And so, you know, enjoying swimming with her kids, like, there's so much greatness that you know, we could be talking about instead of worrying about how we might look in our bathing suits. So anyway, this podcast is about that. How to, how to be on a unified front when people don't even know they're talking and living in diet culture right now. And how to do it in the real world, which is hopefully what these conversations that you and I are increasingly having towards the end of the podcast as we digest the information, because in, you know, in theory, it's, it's all wonderful. And I love Christy Harrison's podcast too, because you can really go listen there and live in a world where all of this is just totally normal and regular. But the struggle of course, is to step into the real world where that's the conversation around spring break. And anyway, we could go on and on, but maybe we should, we should leave it there. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. And I also want to, you know, one last thing I want to make sure listeners know is that we're going to follow up more on this conversation about pediatricians because medical providers are such a huge part of the United Front. We are going to have an episode on growth charts, which we feel is really important for all parents to understand how to navigate as their children grow through their youth. But on top of that, our previous episode, which if you haven't listened to it, episode um, P, was an interview with one of the medical doctors out there who is fully on board with Health at Every Size. And I just want to make sure people listening know that we're going to keep the resources coming on how to navigate weight weight stigma when it's coming from different people in your life, um, including your doctor, because that's one challenge that really comes up a lot. Yeah. No, I'm glad you said that and referenced episode number 15, which is slightly longer than our usual episodes, but it's packed with so much medical information. So I'm glad you said that. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, especially if you want more people to be able to find the Full Bloom podcast, we really appreciate you leaving us a review or rating on iTunes. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with more body positive parenting wisdom.